How can one be both pro-life and pro-capital punishment? And what are we to make of the recent comments by Britain's Archbishop of Canterbury that certain aspects of Islamic Sharia law should be accepted in that country? And what about a new book that says Christians will not go to heaven? Oxford professor and ethicist Dr. David Cook joins us to talk about it all. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I must, of course, take responsibility for any unclarity in either that text or in the radio interview, and for any misleading choice of words that's helped to cause distress or misunderstanding among the public at large, and especially among my fellow Christians. Fellow Christians, are you distressed? The Archbishop of Canterbury suggested that Sharia law should be welcomed in the West, in England. What about America? What is Sharia law? Is it coming to a neighborhood near you? Why should you be concerned? We're going to talk about that in just a minute with someone from the U.K. But first, the election results are in from last night in Virginia, in Maryland, in Delaware. The big winners, John McCain on the Republican side, Barack Obama on the Democrat side, both of them swept the field. People are wondering, should Mike Huckabee stand down now? Here's his response. Right now, nobody has the 1,191 delegates, and therefore it would be a little premature to, uh, to quit until the, the game has actually come to a conclusion. All right, so he's staying in this race, and perhaps he can pull McCain to the right on a few issues and keep it interesting. Now, here is John McCain on his hopes for Huckabee to withdraw. Of course, I'd like for him to withdraw today. I mean, it would be much easier. But I respect and have repeatedly said I respect his right to continue in this race for just as long as he wants to. All right, they've got a love fest going. Maybe uh, Huckabee will be a VP on that ticket. We'll see. Uh, But McCain now getting serious, already beginning to campaign against Obama and Hillary. He's not going to campaign against Huckabee. That's a non-issue for him. He is now setting his sights on the general election. Listen carefully for his issue. It is the war on terror. They'll paint a picture of the world in which America's mistakes are a greater threat to our security than the malevolent intentions of an enemy that despises us and our ideals. Hey, we're going to talk about this later in the program today. Israel killed the number one terrorist on the FBI's watch list for many years. They killed that man yesterday. And Hillary, 
Hillary. Uh, she didn't seem too relevant yesterday. Hillary Clinton, she lost Virginia. She lost Maryland. She lost D.C. Uh, but she is wanting to make Iraq an issue. They have performed bravely and heroically, but there is no military solution. It is up to the Iraqis themselves to make the tough decisions about their country's future. They won't be able to make those decisions if there's chaos in the country. Our soldiers are helping to keep order there. And yes, they need to come home when the job is done. But finally, the big winner last night, Barack Obama. He has all the money. He has the most delegates now. He has the momentum. Here is Barack Obama. Senator McCain said the other day that we might be mired for a hundred years in Iraq. A hundred years, which is reason enough not to give him four years in the White House. All right, later in the program, we're going to talk about national security. Today, um, Sheikh Mohammed indicted. And the government is asking for the death penalty. He's down there in Guantanamo Bay and along with several others. Now, this is the man who planned 9-11 A to Z. This is the man who cut off Daniel Pearl's head, he says, with his own blessed right hand. This man is going to be tried in a military tribunal, and the government's asking for the death penalty. Israel killed the top terrorist yesterday, a Hamas man. And here's the question we're going to talk about later in the show. As Christians, how can we support just war? How can we support the capital punishment? And at the same time, say we're pro-life. I get that question from time to time. It's a serious question. It's a challenging question. Can you be for just war, capital punishment, at the same time, be pro-life on abortion and euthanasia. Is that a contradiction, or are the Catholics right? We're going to talk about that later in the program with a leading ethicist. But first, we go back now to the U.K., where the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says, we're going to have to recognize Sharia law. Let's listen to that speech. Here's about a minute. Listen carefully. The presence of communities which, while no less law-abiding than the rest of the population, relate to something other than the British legal system alone. We do not simply have a standoff between two rival legal systems when we discuss Islamic and British law. On the one hand, Sharia depends for its legitimacy not on any human decision, not on votes or preferences, but on the conviction that it represents the mind of God. On the other hand, it is to some extent unfinished business so far as codified and precise provisions are concerned. To recognize Sharia is to recognize a method of jurisprudence governed by revealed texts rather than a single system. All right. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, recommending some acknowledgement of the validity of Sharia law in the West, in Great Britain. With us to talk about it is Dr. David Cook, fellow and chaplain, Green College, Oxford University, also holds the author Holmes Professor of Faith and Learning Chair at Wheaton College, also the Distinguished Scholar at our Oxford Distinguished Scholars term in 
Oxford every summer right here at Criswell College. Uh, we're entering our fourth year of that program. Dr. Cook, one of our faculty members, uh, welcome back to the show, Dr. Great Cook. Great to be back. Thank you. Dr. Cook, your reaction um, to this controversy, what really was the Archbishop recommending, and uh, how should Christians think through this? I think the Archbishop was talking to a legal audience. He was giving an academic lecture. Unfortunately, he went on the BBC and he broadcast an interview. And I think the the problem is he was thinking about his legal audience and saying, think about this. The difficulty is that if you were in Nigeria, if you were in Iraq, if you were a Christian struggling in a Muslim country, if you were in inner city in, in the UK, then he'd have a very different perspective and he would have expressed himself very different. You know, we fought long and hard in the UK, as you did in America, to build a legal system. The danger is this is totally undermined. Well, you brought up the rest of the world. And uh, today, Kendall Harmon, he's with the Episcopal Diocese of South Carolina. He's, he's really talking about how this will play in other countries. Here's Kendall Harmon. The problem is when you address Sharia as your particular example, and therefore Islam, and you do it as the leader of the third largest Christian family in the world, it's not going to come off the same way in Nigeria, for example, as it is in Britain. All right, and he went on to say, uh, this really will set off alarm bells everywhere that there are Christians being persecuted in the name of Sharia law. It legitimizes this, really. Sharia is used by some of the Muslims in that part of the world as a weapon against the Christians. And here you had the Archers of Canterbury seemingly speaking very favorably about Sharia and its place in society. And so what those Christians heard him doing was giving Muslims a greater weapon to use against them. All right, Dr. Cook, uh, I've been going to the U.K. now for really about 20 years on and off, and for the last 10 years, as you know, steadily. And I have seen a change in the culture in just the last 10 years. I see more and more uh, Islamic symbols and themes and dress. And I'm hearing that there are neighborhoods right now in London that are de facto governed by Sharia law. That may be surprising to many people in America. Could you just talk to us about that and the kind of problems this is creating? Well, first, it's creating a problem of a no-go area as far as police are concerned. There are certain areas of London and major inner cities where they won't go because the Muslim community is so opposed to them. Secondly, it's fundamentally changing attitude towards women. Um, unfortunately, I can't get KCBI when, when I'm in, in uh, Wheaton, <laughs> so I listen to the BBC. I heard a young woman, a young Muslim woman, saying, I want Sharia law. But I began to think, what would it mean for a woman to have Sharia law? It would mean that she was not allowed to marry uh, whoever she wanted. It would mean that if she was, was married, she'd have to ask her husband's permission to leave the home. She'd, have to, uh, she'd only be entitled to half the inheritance that a man went. If she went to law, then her testimony is counted for far less. So it's quite clear that women are undermined, and that's one of the major problems. You know, people fought to get the vote for women. And now they're going to undermine. I was in a taxi, a taxi driver who just married a woman from Pakistan, and she was over. She didn't speak any English. She'd come to this country, and she was not allowed out of the home. He did all the shopping. This young woman taken from a village in Pakistan, living in central London, totally on her own. I mean, it's cruelty. And Dr. Cook, all right, so you've mentioned the problems for women 
Uh, I think as Christians, and particularly as Baptists, uh, when we affirm religious liberty, uh, you know, we're going to have real problems there, too. Um, Part of Sharia law is that if you convert from Islam to another (laughs) another religion, I mean, it's the death penalty. And we saw this in Afghanistan, a country we tried to liberate. liberate. We're trying to liberate a, a year or so ago. Uh, this fellow converted from Islam over to Christianity, and there was a mob scene. <laughs> they wanted to do Sharia law by lynching. And, um, and if we legitimize this in neighborhoods, you know, what is this going to mean for the street preacher, a person passing out tracts? They're not well, going to be able to do that. It's not just the, the preacher or the person passing out tracts. It's if I'm a doctor working with a patient and the patient says to me, why are you doing this? And I'm saying I'm trying to express the love of Christ. Then I can be uh, imprisoned for that. Uh, that would be counted as evangelization. So any attempt even to share the faith. Now, you, you talked about religious liberty. Religious liberty cuts both ways. And if they're going to demand religious liberty for any religious group, then Christians have to have uh, that kind of liberty to express their faith, to share their faith in an appropriate kind of way. And people have to have the freedom to change and to convert. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Dr. David Cook, fellow and chaplain, Green College, Oxford University, also teaches our Oxford Distinguished Scholars term every summer, Oxford University, England. We're talking about the fact that the Archbishop of Canterbury this past week recommended some kind of acknowledgement of Sharia law as a parallel um, system of jurisprudence in the U.K., Now, I've often said on this program, we're already living under a kind of de facto Sharia law in the United States. That is this. Um, There'll be some Muslim cartoon coming out, the Danish cartoon, for instance, and our media will talk about it, but nobody will show it. The New York Times won't show it. The Dallas Morning News won't show it. Already, we're living under a de facto Sharia law when it comes to pictures of Muhammad, Cartoons about Muhammad. Of course, you can have cartoons about Jesus or the cross in a um, bucket of urine for an art exhibit. And, uh, but you cannot have a cartoon of Muhammad in America today. De facto Sharia law. But now, here the Archbishop is recommending we officially acknowledge Sharia law. What will that mean? For Christians, what will it mean for our culture? We're going to talk about it when we come back. Also, how do you balance... Just war, the death penalty, how do you reconcile that with the sanctity of human life? Pro-life. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We're not talking about parallel jurisdictions, and I tried to make clear that there could be no blank checks in this regard, in particular as regards some of the sensitive questions about the status and liberties of women. Sensitive questions about the status of women. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he's proposing some acknowledgement of Sharia law. What will this mean for the UK? What would it mean for the United States if actually this happened? What would it mean? With us to talk about it is Dr. David Cook, fellow and chaplain, Green College, Oxford University, also teaches Criswell College's Oxford Distinguished Scholars term. Uh, Dr. Cook, you mentioned um, these prohibitions, limitations, discrimination against women. Um, there's also something very interesting in Sharia law about slavery. The slavery is permitted. I'm thinking of our U.S. Declaration of Independence, which says, you know, we it's an inalienable right, the right to life, liberty. There's freedom. Freedom is fundamental. And, of course, in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Uh, Sharia law is really the opposite of the Declaration, the Constitution, and I suppose uh, there are European opposites as well. Well, you need to finish the quote. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the trouble with Sharia law is it forbids you to have kind of music, to have Latin. any kind of dancing, laughter too loud. There are all kinds of rules and regulations. When I was a student, I had to learn philosophy. The first lesson I learned was that you couldn't have two fundamental principles. You could only have one. If you have two legal systems, what do you do when these conflict? And that's really what undermines, if you're going to embrace Sharia law, which, which is fundamental, American law or Sharia law? When, when the Mormon uh, faith expressed the, their desire to have uh, polygamy, then it was a choice between do we in America uphold national standards, national law, or do we allow states to do whatever they happen to want? Yes, I'm reading uh, one of the components of Sharia law right here, a free Muslim man may marry up to four women. That means four mothers-in-law. That's frightening. <laughs> and we heard, of course, about Muslim taxi drivers in America already refusing to take a blind folk who have a seeing-eye dog in their cab because they're not supposed to be around dogs. <laughs> so, again, already we have the de facto, uh, the unspoken, the understood, the accepted special allowances for Muslims Again, a kind of de facto Sharia law. But if we have it de jure, if we have it, in fact, uh, codified, what are we going to expect then? Dr. Cook, we haven't talked a lot about this one, but um, there are, these folks uh, sexually um, are pretty strict. And, of course, we're against fornication. We're against adultery. But the penalty for fornication under Sharia law is the death penalty. The penalty for adultery is the death penalty. The penalty for sodomy, for lesbians, they have to be killed. Uh, they have to be stoned to death. Um, it seems to me like the feminist movement and the free love and free sex movement, the liberal social movement ought to be crying out loud and clear. You know, this is against women. 
This is, uh, you know, get out of our bedrooms. I don't hear that. I don't hear it in England. I don't hear it in the United States. What's up with that? Well, what's interesting is when the president of Iran came to America, he said there are no homosexual people in <laughs> Iran. And everybody knows that that's absolute lies. But the difficulty is that the freedom that people enjoy here, the freedom to express themselves in very different ways from what we as Christians believe, nevertheless, that freedom is there. But it, under Sharia law, there would be no such freedom. But when it comes to stoning adulterers, I go back to Jesus, because Jesus was confronted with Mm -hmm. a man and a woman taken in adultery. They didn't want to stone the man. They wanted to stone the woman. And Jesus said to them, let the one that is without sin cast the first stone. And the crowd disappeared. Now, Jesus didn't didn't, uh, accept what she'd done. Go and sin no more, he says Mm. to her. But he doesn't require that she is killed because of a situation where she was taken advantage of. You're quite right. Feminists, gay groups, they ought to be really speaking out against Sharia law, big time. (laughs) You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Dr. David Cook. He teaches at Criswell College during our Oxford Distinguished Scholars term in Oxford, England. He served as fellow and chaplain of Green College, Oxford University, leading ethicist in the U.K. and in the States. Let's, uh, Let's tie this to some story right here locally that just broke today. We're talking here about homosexuality and human sexuality. Uh, it's not just the Muslims that are dealing with this. It's the Baptist, and particularly the liberal, the moderate Baptist in this region. And we covered this story about three months ago, and uh, it's about Broadway Baptist Church over in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, uh, here's the story again. They're doing their church directory. They're doing their church directory, and some homosexual couples— Gay couples want to get in this directory for family photos. And uh, it's really stirring this church up. And so Sam Hodges today writing about it in the Dallas Morning News. And we're reading now that 162 members have signed a petition for the pastor to leave. That is to vacate the pulpit. And it only takes 100 signatures to get a vote. And so they are going to have this business meeting. They're going to have the vote. Now, we invited the pastor, uh, Brett Younger, to come on the program three months ago. We invited the former pastor, um, Shoemaker, to come on. We invited the Baptist General Convention of Texas folks to come on. No one would come on to talk about this. But they're going to have to talk about it now in this church business meeting. And I want to read uh, a couple of key quotes from this, this news piece by Sam Hodges. And uh, here's what it says about Broadway. Women serve as deacons and ministers at Broadway, and gay people have long been part of the congregation in what some members describe as a don't ask, don't tell policy. Don't ask, don't tell. But now here's the concern. I'm reading in the article. The pictorial directory was being assembled last year as part of the 125th anniversary, but when some gay couples showed up to get their pictures taken, Conflict emerged. Some members felt that allowing these photos would go beyond welcoming gay people to affirming homosexual homosexuality in opposition to certain Bible verses. Others argued, hey, they deserve to be pictured like everyone else. And Dr. Younger, the pastor, went on to say that some Protestant denominations and many churches are struggling with how accepting to be of homosexuality. Dr. Cook, you teach ethics. You're a Baptist. You're a Christian. What's your read on this kind of story? Um, How did it get to this point in this kind of church? Or actually, 
these other denominations. He 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 notes, you know, the Methodists are debating this and others. How did they get there? I think they got there because of uh, the 60s and, and the notion of love. Uh, love means in our society and in our culture nowadays, you accept whatever people do and whatever people say. Uh, actually, loving sometimes means saying no. And that's where in the Bible, when it talks about loving people, it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Uh, loving God and loving your neighbor means there are certain ways that we have to behave towards each other. And God's law expresses in terms of sexuality the proper way in which we should express that in a loving, committed relationship between a husband and wife. That's the context. That's the standard. Judges all of us. And so the question in the end is a question of authority. Do we really take the Bible? Do we really take God's standard seriously? Or are we going to decide, oh, these are nice people? Well, of course, the homosexual people are nice people. Not, not all of them, but there are lots of nice people. Just because people are nice doesn't mean that we should accept everything and anything that they do. And also, I would add, you know, that this church, uh, this has not happened in a vacuum. Broadway Baptist Church has been um, really high profile in the battle for the Bible in the Southern Baptist Convention. They chose the other side. They didn't think inerrancy was important. They didn't think infallibility of Scripture is important. They didn't think the inspiration or authority of scriptures important. And, uh, you know, many conservative leaders said, you know, if we if we don't fight over the authority of Scripture now, the inerrancy of Scripture now, we will be debating, we will be fighting over issues like sexuality in five years or ten years or fifteen years. That is what has happened in the mainland Protestant denominations, and now that's what's happened over at Broadway. Well, hopefully they'll learn from this lesson, but I, I want to read one other sentence from this newspaper article. Here's the quote. We're either becoming a community of grace or a community of judgment, a community that welcomes everyone, or a community of self-righteousness. That's what the pastor said this Sunday, defending himself in the sermon. Your reaction to that dichotomy, welcoming everyone or a community of self-righteousness. Is that a false dichotomy? Of course it's a false dichotomy. The gospel and the good news is it's always open to anybody. But we have to come as sinners. We have to come as people who are willing to repent, people who are willing to come and accept God and God's standards. And in the end, the church can do nothing but affirm. When, when homosexual people say to me, what right do you have to tell me what to do? I say, I have no right at all. But I have a responsibility to proclaim God's standards. And we either take God's standards seriously or we don't. Paul talked about um, sinners, of whom he was chief. We're all sinners. We're all messed up sexually, emotionally, financially, personally, in just about every way you can think. We believe in the reality of the fall. And so we are welcoming everyone to hear the gospel, to come to church, hopefully, no matter what their persuasion, no matter what their confusion or distortion. Everyone is welcome to hear the gospel. We all are sinners in need of a Savior. And remember this. That's why Christ died on the cross. For sinners. For sin. For you. For me. For the whole world. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He was seen by hundreds. He has ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's our advocate. He's on our side. Because he's made an atonement, a payment for our sin. He's pulling for you. He's praying for you. If you've never received Christ, you need to look to Jesus. You need to come to Christ. You need to believe in him today. When we come back, how do you balance capital punishment and just war 
with the sanctity of innocent human life. How can you be pro-life, anti-abortion, but be for capital punishment, just war? We'll talk to Dr. Cook about that when we come back. All right, this is an evildoer update. You'll remember President Bush talked about the evildoers. The Bible in Romans 13 talks about the evildoers. The Apostle Peter talks about the evildoers. And the role of government in subduing the evildoers. Today, it was announced that six Al-Qaeda detainees will be charged with murder and conspiracy charges in the September 11 attacks. Among those, the leader, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, this is the man who says he planned 9-11 from A to Z. This is the man who said he cut off the reporter, the Jewish reporter, Daniel Pearl's head with his own blessed right hand. This is that man, and the government is seeking the death penalty. Should Christians support that? Can we support that if we're pro-life? Can we support the death penalty? Also today, Israel kills a leading Hezbollah terrorist. Here's an update from Mark Levy. Imad Mugnia of Hezbollah died in a fiery car bomb explosion in Damascus. He's wanted by the FBI for his part in the 1985 hijacking of a TWA plane in which a Navy diver was killed. He's also tied in with bombings at American buildings in Beirut in the 80s that killed 200 people and bombings in Argentina. Hezbollah blamed Israel for his death. The guerrillas fought Israel a year and a half ago. Israel's assumed to be targeting its leaders. Israel denied involvement in the killing. Mark Levy, Tel Aviv. Okay, this show is about the Christian worldview. How do we sort this out? Uh, Do we rejoice when the government takes on and takes out, actually, the evildoers? Or do we feel conflicted about this as Christians? We're pro-life. We're not for abortion. We're not for euthanasia. How can we be for the taking of human life, whether it's Israel killing a terrorist, missile attack on a car, or the United States saying we want to execute the man who masterminded 9-11. This seems to be an ethical conundrum. With us to talk about it is a leading ethicist, Dr. E. David Cook of Oxford University, and who teaches at Criswell College during our Oxford University Distinguished Scholars term. Dr. Cook, welcome back to the program. Uh, Tell us, uh, do do you ever hear Christians ask this question, first of all, how can you be for any kind of a war or for the death penalty and at the same time be pro life? And how do you sort through that? Well, I'd hear it all the time. I, I think that we have to recognize that what, what we said earlier about why, why do we have government at all? We've government, the Bible tells us, Romans tells us, uh, in order to protect uh, those who are uh, good and preserve that goodness and to prevent evil. And, and so that's why they're allowed capital punishment in order to – and this is not individual Christians going around killing people, saying, I don't like them. Indeed, the whole of the Old Testament shows the way that God set limits to revenge. This is not about revenge. This is not about striking out. This is about government protecting society. 
but but actually the the death penalty shows the very seriousness of the nature of human beings. The human beings have worth and value because they're made in the image of God. And that's why in Genesis we read that if somebody sheds blood, human Mm. blood, then their blood will be shed because human life is so special because people made in the image of God have got that value. Mm. He's referencing Genesis 9-6, and I'll just read it because many of you may have never seen this passage. Genesis 9-6, remember this, after the flood, what's the context? All this evil on the earth, which caused God to judge the earth through that flood. Noah lands, gets off the boat. God sets up a new covenant, a new way of leading, a new way of governing. And he says, I've got to really accommodate all this evil. It's going to come back. And here's what God says. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, if you murder someone, by man his blood shall be shed. God says, I'm not going to zap them. I'm not going to push the smite button from heaven. By man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Dr. Cook, do you believe that is a, a really a foundation then for the proper use of capital punishment? It's not only a foundation for the proper use of capital punishment. Actually, let's set aside the Bible. Let, let's pretend that we don't believe the Bible. We don't accept God's word. We don't accept God's standard. What, what are we then going to do with people who behave in ways that actually destroy other people? And, and so a government has a responsibility to protect its citizens. And sometimes people behave so badly, as you read the list of what this particular individual had done, the bombings throughout the world. The question then is, what are we to do with that individual? Say, you know, that's all right. Well, you know, we'll look after you. Or do we say this person is outside the circle of humanity? Therefore, they're no longer entitled to the rights, the privileges of what it means to be a human being. Well, look, folks, let's, uh, let's go to a related theme today. Uh, Anton Scalia, uh, one of the most conservative Supreme Court justices, is uh, countercultural on this issue of interrogation and torture and uh, waterboarding. And uh, he's saying, look, there are some of these techniques that might be permissible. Here's Judge Scalia. It seems to me you have to say, as unlikely as that is, it would be absurd to say that you, you, you can, I don't even sing something under the finger, you know, smack him in the face. Be absurd to say you couldn't do that. Okay, he said you could slap one of these guys in the face. If what? He said if in this speech you knew there was an imminent attack. So this is the Jack Bauer view, the 24 view of preventing terrorism. Judge Scalia went on to say uh, this extreme kind of a technique uh, Even if it's applied, there should be constraints. Once you acknowledge that, we're into a different game. How close does the threat have to be? And how severe can the infliction of pain be? All right, so that's one issue right there. And that's uh, torture or waterboarding. Whether or not that is torture is a separate question. Now, here's President Bush today on these broad surveillance powers, uh, this warrantless wiretapping. And um, now Congress has approved it. The president's about to authorize it. Here it is. To carry out their plans, they must communicate with each other. They must recruit operatives. And they must share information. The lives of countless Americans depend on our ability to monitor these communications. All right. And it looks like he has the votes now today. That's the breaking news. Um, Dr. Cook, I mean, of course, people are debating these issues. But I want to go back. What? What's the fundamental point in the Christian worldview 
um, that cries out for all of these measures. Uh, there, there are two ways of looking at the world, I guess. One is that uh, we can all just get along. Man is basically good. Um, and another one is that uh, there's something fundamentally wrong. The fall. I mean, uh, this this evil, the reality of evil. I remember before 9-11 there were people uh, in the academy saying, well, there's no such thing as evil. There's no category. Um, that uh, Why would we call... Um, Russia an evil empire. Why, you know, why could Bush after that say there, there, there's an axis of evil? I mean, there were people in the academy saying there's no such thing as evil. Uh, it seems to me the one thing that all of this points to is a fundamental problem with the human heart. Well, absolutely, but not just the human heart. It's what human hearts lead people to do, how they behave. And for someone who says there is no evil, they never read the newspaper, they never watch television, they've certainly never been in the Sudan, they've never been in Africa, they've never been in the Middle East, they've never been in Northern Ireland, they've never seen what human beings are capable of doing to other human beings. And governments have a responsibility to restrain evil. That's why we read in in the Old Testament how the Israelites, the people of God, sent out spies. I mean, you know, here's a justification in Scripture itself for actually undercover to find out what evildoers are planning to do and to try to restrain that, to try to overcome that, to try to make sure that good triumphs. And that's the God-given task of government. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. David Cook. He's uh, based in the U.K. and in the United States. Uh, He knows both sides. Dr. Cook, um, it seems to be... Um, the case that there is a special relationship between Great Britain and the United States. We've had this relationship really ever since World War II, perhaps going back to World War I, but um, we've been able to count on the Brits in Afghanistan and in Iraq, and um, they're sort of the last of the U.S. allies to um, uh, walk away in Iraq, or at least want to leave a little sooner than we seem to, uh, the question I have really is about Europe as a whole. Um, this reality of evil, this Islamo-fascist threat, this Islamo-terrorist threat that we've really been talking about all day so far on this program, the mood in Europe, Spain, France, Germany, and even in the UK, do you feel uh, that's a realistic view uh, of the, the threat the Islamo-fascist threat on America, on the West, to disengage, to pull back, to accommodate with the Sharia law coming in? Uh, do you feel that uh, the more hawkish view in the United States is the more realistic view? I mean, you've, you've been in the U.K., you've been in the United States. What do you think is happening over there? Um, I mean, they've been hit in London. They've been hit in Spain. And so it's not as if they're not getting hit. Everybody's terrified of what's going to happen, and, and you cannot tolerate that. You have to protect your people. If you're going to protect them, you've got to have laws, and you've got to enforce the laws. All right, when we come back, um, a leading theologian says, hey, we're preaching it wrong. We're preaching that when you die, you go to heaven, and that's really what it's about. Um, or is it about life after life after death? That's right. Are we overlooking the resurrection? Are we overlooking the New Testament message? Are we perverting the gospel? 
This is Jerry Johnson Live with Dr. David Cook. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswill.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We have now one east and west, north and south, and across the heartland of this country we love. All right, that's Barack Obama. He's running for president of the United States. He's now ahead of Hillary Clinton in raising money. He's ahead in states won. He's ahead in delegates won. He is ahead when it comes to momentum. Hillary Clinton has to win 58% of the vote in all of the remaining contests to have a shot at all at getting the Democrat nomination. I don't think she'll get it. I don't think she can win Texas and Ohio. Isn't it interesting that we thought we were irrelevant here in Texas when it comes to these primaries? But they're saying Texas will be the last stand. The Alamo for Hillary Clinton is going to be Texas. You say, what does this have to do with the Christian worldview? Here it is. He has been ranked as the most liberal senator of 100 senators, the most liberal. I remind you, He fought in Illinois for the right of doctors and parents to kill children that survived an abortion. Well, we're going to talk about this more on this program because he has the style, he has the image, he has the hope, he has the charisma. It's all very positive. And I think most of us would like to see an African-American elected as President of the United States during our lifetime. It would be a great message uh, and moment for America. But is this the right one? Is this the right one? I think Christians are going to have to struggle with that. I think black folks are going to have to struggle with that. White folks and Hispanic folks, is this the right one? Is this the right time? Is he the right man on the issues, on marriage, and on life? Is this the right man? We're going to talk about that and compare and contrast him to Huckabee and McCain. It'll probably be McCain. It looks like it's going to be Obama and McCain. We will continue to follow this story. But Dr. David Cook is here with me. He is preaching in Criswell College Chapel tomorrow. We invite you to come out at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, it's open to the public, no charge, uh, no cost. Dr. Cook is here, and he leads our Distinguished Scholars Program at Oxford every summer. Dr. Cook, welcome back. Uh, Look, there's another story over in the U.K. In Time Magazine featured this issue 
Christians Wrong About Heaven, says Bishop. This is Bishop N.T. Wright, new in that position. But he's saying, wait a minute, most Christians get their idea of heaven from Plato or Michelangelo or Dante floating in the clouds forever as a spirit. He says, we're getting that wrong. What do you make of this? Well, Tom is a, a figure who loves to get into the media and loves to cause uh, all kinds of uh, scuttlebutt and nonsense. Uh, I think that the, there are two things he says which I think are important for us to know. First of all, that heaven is about a relationship with God. And, and, and that's the choice that people have. It's, it's eternal life or it's eternal damnation. It's about eternally being with God. And if we're with God, it doesn't matter where it is, whether it's floating up in the sky or somewhere else. It's a question of relationship with God. And our relationships with everybody else will be seen in light of that. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is that Tom, I think, is emphasizing that the Greeks thought that the spirit was the important thing, and they denied the body. The wonderful thing about the whole Bible, but particularly about the New Testament, is that God created us with a body. Christ died and had a real body. That resurrection body is a reality. And so bodies matter. And therefore, heaven is not peopled with floating spirits and ghosts wandering around. It's full-blooded people, but in a redeemed body, a transformed Mm. body. And I think that's the important thing. I think people ought not to worry what a bishop says about what's happened to my loved ones. I'm looking forward not just to seeing my loved ones in heaven, but actually being with Christ eternally, being able to enjoy God's presence. And that's the key thing. And that will affect my relationship with everybody in that context. Well, the bishop goes on to say in this piece that um, what most Christians are thinking, it seems, when we go to a funeral, is that uh, we're going to live on as spirits in some sort of uh, otherworldly place. And the point he seems to be making is, look, at best, that's the intermediate state. That is the, Paul says, you're naked, you're unclothed. Uh, But it's with the Lord, as you said. But it's an intermediate state. And really the hope of the New Testament is the resurrection, the resurrection. And the, the resurrection body, the glorious body, is the eternal state. Jesus says to the thief dying, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's a living reality. Paul says, you know, if you're absent from the body, you can be present with the Lord. That, that, that's again the reality. So I believe for those who die, there is no knowledge of an intermediate state. People go into the very presence of God, but their time is different from our time. C.S. Lewis makes this point. Our understanding of time is you have an idea, then you carry it out, and then you look at the results. I believe that with death within the presence of God. And and in the presence of God, that's the important thing. That's what heaven is. It's about that relationship with the living God forever. I read a passage now in closing from 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen carefully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope It's an alive hope, a living hope, a real hope, not a false hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuine of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now what I take from this N.T. Wright piece is this. Look, Peter says, you have not seen him, past tense, but you love Jesus. He says, you do not see him, present tense, but you believe in him. But then Peter says, there is coming a time called the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will see him in the future. You have not seen him. You don't see him, but you will see him. Job put it this way, I know in my flesh I shall see God. Well, that's a great truth. And we're not going to be ghosts forever. We're going to be resurrected. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of them that slept. Go read your Bible tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the victory over sin, over death, over the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was the message of the New Testament church. He is risen from the dead. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Dr. David Cook from Criswell College. Join us in chapel tomorrow, 10 o'clock. We'll see you there. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.